Hi, this is Lisa Smith Henderson, and thanks for listening to Alma Am I Racist? If you want to know more about the program, please go to Alma. AmIRacist.com. And just a quick overview, Alma is the woman who helped raise me and saved my life. She was a black woman and is, in my mind, was then and will always be one of my angels. So this show is in her honor. My guest today is my good friend, Alicia Graves, and I am so proud to know her. She has an official position at the church that we both go to, and she is a rep for a fine art photographer. She's also a great photographer in her own right, and she also has a company called RU, like the letter R, the letter U, spiritdriven.com. And this is athletic apparel, but she recently has put together a line of masks. So get your mask today. This would be a great present for somebody. Arguspiritdriven.com. So glad to have Alicia with me today. What is it that you think that white people are actually afraid of when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement? I think their biggest thing is fear. Fear that whatever was done to us, if we ever have power, if we're ever considered equal, one, we're going to take revenge, or two, we're going to take what they have. Okay, so let's talk about, because at the bottom of all of this has to be just plain, bald-faced fear. I think so. I think it's fear. And there may be some people who want to take revenge, but for the most part, we just want to be created equal and have the opportunity, if we're going after the same thing, is equal. It's not because we're trying to maintain power, so, okay, we're not going to give it to them, so we're going to give it over to to you, to the person that I'm familiar with, the person Mm -hmm. that I'm familiar with, with skin color. Because they're not going to try to do me wrong because I understand them? That's the perception. It's just easy. That's the perception because people who grab for power really don't care what (laughs) you are, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I think the biggest fear is just think it's just to think that blacks are going to come for revenge and then we're going to take what you, you have. Then as far as if you accept that part of that, yes, I think that they're going to take revenge on us, then you have to accept that 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 system that you're trying to protect, the white people that you're trying to protect, is wrong. Exactly. Yeah, and because if there was nothing to take revenge for, why the fear? And you are a part of that wrong, and you contributed to that wrong. The hardest part is facing the negative part of yourself. And I also want to say, Alicia and I are talking in very broad terms in order to have this conversation. We know all Black people don't feel like what you're saying. A lot of white people don't feel like what I'm saying. But to make this conversation flow better, we kind of have to do generalities. Exactly. What assumptions have you made about white people through the years? Oh, that's a good question. I think the assumption is pretty much in general for the most white people are good. They have some have good intentions, but especially approaching black people, they're not really sure, not really sure what to do, what kind of conversation to have. So are you saying 
you haven't made necessarily assumptions about whites in the past? Well, I'm sure that I have. I don't want to say that I haven't. Mm-hmm. That's just something that I have to think about because there are some assumptions, but I also don't believe that all white people are of that assumption. I feel like uh, with that, I listen to you. I hear you. And it's, it's what you do that tells me where you are on that spectrum. So you take, you treat people on an individual basis. For the most part, I believe I do. What assumptions are you coming to white person to the table about me as a black person? That's, I think maybe that's the first thing. I really don't know, Lisa. The first thing you think about is you wonder what they think of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Who is, this person? who is this person? Okay. What am I getting? I'm getting this white person. Okay. What does this person think? Where is, where are they? Like I said, on that spectrum. So it's a degree of uncertainty. You yeah. come to the table with an uncertainty about a white person's intentions. Yes. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, going to the, our church and I've been there going there for eight years now. So I think the first uh, maybe six months or a year, people were like, is this like a novelty? She's coming to the black church. And, and I get realized, <laughs> you know, okay. Now after eight years, I've got some, I got some street cred. Yeah, I know, right? You have time. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, she really, she really likes our church and she's really willing to be here, be involved and listen and be uncomfortable. Uh, there were many Bible studies where I heard the older women talk about their parents and their grandparents being slaves and looking to me and saying, Lisa, you need to hear this too. And I think this is what seems to be missing because what I hear is from white people. Well, I don't own slaves. I don't know why everybody's so up in arms. That wasn't me. That was my, you know, great, great grandfather. Well, the bottom line is this is programmed on a cellular level. My belief now, I'm just not any, I'm just can speak for myself. I think it's programmed on a cellular level that white, for some of us, white guilt and knowing we want to keep the white guilt away. So we're going to make it not about us. That isn't us. We don't act like that today, number one. And I think in in the black community, I wonder if it's also in the DNA to the anger. How can you deal with generations of anger because of the mistreatment that still to this day continues And the only thing that's different is the set. The movie set's different. So you ask me, how do you deal with it after? I mean, am I, am I off base here in that? (laughs) No. And I, and I think that's because of that, you say, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with this? And that's what's happening today. What you learn to do is kind of tolerate it and deal with each instance as it comes to you. Because if you think about it every day, especially something I cannot do, I cannot change the color of my skin. I cannot change everybody in the world. I cannot do that. But if I continue to think about those things, that negative part, then 
I would consistently be unhappy. Alicia, we haven't even gotten to the forgiveness piece. Hell, we're a long way away from the forgiveness piece. Yeah, some of the forgiveness piece is for, at least for those white people who say, you know, I didn't own slaves, but my, that was my grandfather and my great-great-grandfather. If they say, you know what, I didn't own slaves, but I apologize for that. And this is the missing piece, I think, is owning it. Because it's what your great and great grandfather did. Some of that economically has put us in a situation. It's because of those things that they wouldn't educate the slaves for obvious reasons. Right. That's why education is so important to us. But because of that lack of education, as far as us economically, we're always lagging behind. As long as others, you know, there were other systematic things in place, redlining, education as far as in the different areas, segregation and stuff like that. But, and going back to what we're saying about, if you say my great, great grandfather, da, 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 just say, you know, yeah, he sure did. I can see how that affects you. And I can see how that leads us to where we are today. And that's messed up. And you know what? I'm sorry about what my ancestors did. So just acknowledging the truth, because the truth is, and I'm sure you've seen the Monopoly speech where the woman talks about 400 years and it's like every, all the white people get to go around the board 400 times And I think the unwillingness to admit that is it is so awful that if we have to face that, then how can we live with ourselves? And that's the conversation that I hope we're starting to have now. There's no hiding anymore. White people for the first time that I've seen in my lifetime, and I'm older than you are, for the first time are saying, what can we do? How can we help? How can we make this better? Yes, it is wrong. Well, first, if you, if you are talking to black people and they bring that up and just like you say, acknowledge the truth. And then when you're talking to your white friends, acknowledge the truth and also hold those accountable who do not want to look at the truth and stand firm in your truth. And um, the other thing is whatever, it's almost like you get in where you fit in. And that is having that conversation with your white friends to say, you know, I'm standing firm in my belief in this and understanding what Blacks are going through. I understand it. I'm standing firm and I'm holding you accountable for that too. If that's where you are. If it is protest, that's where you are. If it is to give funds to help with legal issues, everybody, you know, get in where you fit in to help with bringing it to a place (laughs) to where uh, there's an opportunity for equality and justice. So what you're saying is it's, it varies, you know, when people, white people go, what can we do? You're saying, find what speaks to you and follow that. Yes. Whether it's time, money, talent, speaking your truth loudly or quietly. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And Alicia, let, let's say this all needs to start young. What would you think would be a good way to start working with parents to talk to their children, 
the schools, and I think we put too much on the schools. The bottom line is this belongs to the parents of children to teach. We cannot foist this off on our educational system. But if you were to say to the mother of a four-year-old, five-year-old, white child, black child, what would you suggest? It's how you live. Your child, for the most part, mirrors what you do. Your child mirrors what you say. You are, the parent is the example to that child. And, and then two, I, I don't, you know, this is tough, you know, find some black people, just like you, Lisa, and the other gentleman that's in our church, you decided that, you know what, for whatever reason, I'm going to this church in this African-American. For that four-year-old, take them to a, a, a nursery school or put them in situations where they are in, in, in a diverse atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then it's also what you do, what you say about those situations, because as they grow, they're listening to you. That's my suggestion. And what happens is that growing up when you don't have the benefit of having a, a mixed circle, then you only learn one way of life. You're only exposed to one group of people. Right. And when you're only exposed to one group of people, that's all, that's all you know. You don't even have experiences to reflect on that might even inform you or inform the child that at least if that child is with other kids in diverse situations, they're going to probably hear some things and then, you know, let them go over to the parent's house, <laughs> you know, and spend some time and stuff and get, you know, it's getting to know each other. And that's, okay. and that's where you learn. That's what you learn because then you say, well, you know what? Well, when I was 10 years old, I was with this Asian, Black, Spanish family and we had a good time at the table. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Right. You have those experiences to reflect on. For the people that are in Atlanta listening to us, this is easy. I have friends and acquaintances that live in other parts of the country and they're hard pressed to find a black person. I, I have a friend who's married to a black man and she did not see her first white person, a black person until she was 17. So we're fortunate that we live in a diverse enough city. This is actually doable. So that's when you have to almost sit, you know, sit them in front of the TV. Although I was in Atlanta, like my mother sat me in front of the TV looking at the civil rights movement, but you start looking at maybe things on TV that's educational, so, that, that kind of adds that diversity. And then it's what's that, how that parent comments on that and makes that a way of life. Like I said, a child mirrors you. Right. If, if you don't have the, uh, another group of, a blacks, Asian, Latinos to be with, then, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's TV. There's also the internet where you can be very uh, specific about the kind of information you want to expose them to. And you all kind of watch together and talk about it and, you know, interrupt your have a conversation type thing. That's better than zero. Okay. If you aren't in a situation where you can mix, then there's always television, the internet, movies, things that you can deal with age appropriately to introduce it and to raise the topic. And to raise and the topic. I'll tell you something, Alicia. 
I, and I know this is going to sound really, really dumb, but in the history books and growing up in the South, the Deep South, I didn't really believe that the Civil War was about slavery. Mm. Somehow it was like, I didn't really know what it was about, but it was sort of like, well, you know, those Yankees were just coming, trying to come down and take money from us. So it was more this emphasis on the carpetbaggers as opposed to this was really a war to end slavery. And I think until we can be clear about that message, that that's really what this was about, and banning the Civil War flag at the Confederate flag and singing Dixie and, you know, all of the things that are so woven into Southern fabric as being okay until we can speak the truth. To me, the history books need to be rewritten. I agree. I mean, and it's kind of like World War II. Like, I didn't really understand that the Nazis were trying to kill the Jews. Like, it was just sort of like, what? It just, I couldn't. It, it was like a chapter. So I think we're doing a disservice to our young people by not just some, they can handle it. They play those damn video games that are so violent. I think they can handle the truth about who and what we really are. I think so too. I handle the truth about what we really are. And also, you know what that does too? What? When you, when you present the truth of what we are, the truth of what slavery was and is, as far as, yeah, it was, a, there was some oppression, but there were a lot of people who were smart out of that. A lot of people who did some things that's counter to what we hear about, about slavery. Mm -hmm. So if we learn that, then also that kind of systematic oppression by not telling the truth about history, as far as where Blacks are concerned, mm -hmm. then you start having a more positive impact on how Black people feel about their race. You know, it's not learned that they are the least. You learn more about, yeah, there was slavery. Yeah, white people chose to do this. But this is the other part of it, too. These are these inventions. This is what happened. This is what happened. So that kind of adds some balance. So then Blacks, Latinos, whoever contributed to this world, then you grow up more feeling more positive about being who you are. And that's Black. One of the things I've realized in these discussions, Alicia, is the inadequacy in the education that we've had about Black history. What about Black History Month? Month. Right. It, that really upsets me. I mean, I appreciate it, but it, it really upsets me. I'm one of those like, okay, there is Black history all year long as far as if you want to learn about Black history and, and making history. Even that, that you want to narrow down the learning of Black history in one month is a white privilege. The counter to that, as far as your ah. white history, that's automatic. Right. You don't have to fight for that to be taught. You don't have to fight for a month for that to be recognized. You don't have to. Your history is everywhere on statues, on, you know, it's all around. Right. Books, movies. So should we eliminate Black History Month and weave the Black history into the regular history? 
Yes. Think about it. It's like, you know what, Black people, your history is only important for these 28 days. Oh, and it used to make me so mad when I went to a white church. Black History Month was the only month I liked the music. And I was like, why do we have to save this good music for this one month? And why just bring your kids to our church this one month? Is that what happened? Uh, yeah, it becomes the black church becomes a church where people want to, oh, you know what? So they can get the experience for this Black History Month. Let's bring them over here to our church. Oh, oh, that's creepy. That's mm-hmm. creepy. I mean, unless it's done for the right reasons. That's just kind of creepy. I mean, why not do that any other time? Exactly. If you really want to be true about creating an experience, do it once a month for 12 months. You know, create something where it's more than just coming in one time for that, for that particular month. Right. Because just think, those kids, white kids who are coming to visit for that, then that's how they view Black history. Oh, it's just the one month. Yeah, that's how they, then that's how you said it. When you were talking about teaching white kids, teaching black, so you're telling your kids, having your kids to come over and experience this for one month. So what do you, then you as a white kid grow up with? Well, you know what? It's only important that one month, does that add value to a people to only celebrate them for one month? That's the only time we kind of recognize. Mm-hmm that race yeah that's a great point so what do you what do you what do you teach see those are the subtle ways uh-huh yeah there's a subtle white privilege which there's actually if you think about it it's not yeah. really very subtle it's not really subtle but it's subtle and so on those that's the type of things like when we talk about white privilege it's those type of things as well i want to remind people at the very beginning you said your grandmother picked cotton your mother went on to become a professional, a nurse, and you've got a degree, a college degree, and have been very successful. So I think what it says is, this is not, this is what it says to me, this is not that far removed. Right. You know, when somebody said, well, my grandparents, you know what? My great-grandfather, whom I knew, he happened to be very old, when he, he died in his 90s, so I knew him, he had what they called a boy. And it was a black man who, I think he'd probably been a slave and he stayed with my great-grandfather. And so these were the stories I was taught growing up, is they loved him so much that when they were freed, they stayed with him. Therefore, we have no culpability. Stayed with him. So when my grandfather traveled, Robert couldn't stay in the same hotel. And that is what I think as whites, we all have to realize this was not that long ago, friends. And I see it in South Africa with with white South Africans, and I'm generalizing here. But for the most part, it's like apartheid's over. It ended in the 90s. What's the problem here? That's in the past. Well, if you think about it, that is a very recent past. And what we're talking about is still a very recent past. 
you know, when somebody's been grieving for six months, you don't say, well, when are you going to get over it? Exactly. And I think this is what white people have got to understand. This is going to take a long time. And the healing cannot begin until we as whites take responsibility. Doesn't mean we own it and say, I'm as bad as they were. But just to say, this is real. This is real. Yes, that's a part of my heritage. Yes, I see that. Yeah, I know you right now, not a slave. But that's a part of your history. Oh, I got one more quick question. What do we call ourselves? White people that are for Black Lives Matter. You know, that's interesting. Um, One, you have white allies, and then I just was listening to something where Reverend said that um, they are white advocates. I don't know. I don't get really caught up on words. I just want you to do the work. Just do the work. And for me, if I'm the type of person, if I'm not sure which word to use, hey, I'm an ally, advocate. Which one you want to use? That's what I am. (laughs) Okay. So saying I'm a white ally is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Hey, hey, if you don't want to say that, just say, you know what? I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you. I recognize it. I'm with you. I'm trying. Help me. That's okay. And that's what you've done today, Alicia. Thank you so much because you have been willing to ask answer questions that a lot of white people are afraid to, or maybe they don't have anybody to go to and say, hey, can you tell me this? Mm-hmm. So I know you much better now, and I love that. Oh, well, great, great, yes. great. And, and know that white people hear that Black people are, are tired of trying to tell you about it or trying mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm an example, and I'm sure there are others. I know others who are willing to talk about it. It's just that you too has you have to approach each person and see where they are on that spectrum, right? And then ask the questions, just like you did. Well, the great thing is we have a little bit of a platform here, so people don't have to. If they only have one black friend, they don't have to wear out that black friend. They don't have to wear out that black friend, but you can definitely. There, there are others, and I believe if that's what you seek, you will find it. When the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Thank you for being our teacher today. Oh, oh, thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate being here, and. Uh, And thank you for feeling comfortable or even uncomfortable enough to even ask the questions and uh, and even allow me to give you my thoughts. Thank you. It helped me a lot. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Alma, Am I Racist? If you want to know more about the podcast, you can go to almaamiracist.com. Alicia Graves has been gracious with her time today, and I'd like for you to check out her website. It's called RU, the letters RU, spiritdriven.com. And it's athletic apparel, but she also has got a buy one, give one to a healthcare worker mask special. So if you're looking for a cool gift, go to ruspiritdriven.com and buy a mask and take a look at some of the other good stuff there. Thanks for listening to Alma Am I Racist? And we'll see you next week.